What was your first exposure to Lehman Brothers? Oh, we had the cassette tape growing up that we listened to over and over and over and over. I knew the whole show. It sung through, so I knew the entire show by a very, very young age. What's the proper way to sing I Dreamed a Dream? The proper way? I don't think I'd be as presumptuous as to say there is a proper way. Some people did it a little more calmly. Some people did it a little more dramatically, a little more tragically, a little more self-pitying. There's all sorts of variations on that song. There's no right way. How'd you do it? Um, I think it needs to be toned down a little bit just because the words themselves are so intense. Um, you can't be crying the whole time. And you got to build to something like all songs, like all musical theater songs. You have to start somewhere calmer so that way you can build to something. I have bought your soul for Why God. So Why do people like it so much? Oh. Part of it is the music is written so beautifully. It's so stirring. It is so impactful. It really pulls on the heartstrings. And there's some very universal themes. L longing, I, love, loss. <laughs> Revolution. Hello, everyone. This is just a short video to announce a new read-along project I'll be embarking on. About a month ago, I put up a poll on my community tab to sort of gauge from my audience what would make sense for my next read-along project. And there were four books on that poll. Unfortunately, the book that won the poll, that won the most votes, was the one book out of the four that I think had uh, the least chance of being uh, available, of me being able to successfully do a read-along. The winner of that poll was City of God by St. Augustine. Now, that was by far the longest book on the poll of the options that I provided, and the only book out of the four that I have not read cover to cover. My point is, um, currently, as it stands, unfortunately, I'm in no position uh, to do that. So that sort of opened up a space um, for me to pick uh, the, next, the next book, and I thought I would go with The Hunchback of Notre Dame. And so I sort of started off on that project, reading and planning, and what I quickly discovered is that I don't actually want to do The Hunchback of Notre Dame. What happened was, when I made that list, what I really wanted to do was Les Miserables, also by Victor Hugo, of course. But I figured I was, uh, I was, I was basically intimidated, right? I mean, Les Miserables is, a, is an absolutely massive tome. Um, and it's been so many years since I last read it. I think the first time I read it was, I don't know, like 20 years ago or something. And I didn't even manage to finish it. I think I read about a third of the book. Um, I loved it, but uh, it's, it's easy to get lost in some of... Victor Hugo's long digressions there. Uh, he goes off on all sorts of tangents. And uh, over the years, over those years, I, I, I revisited uh, parts of it. I read significant sections um, throughout the book, dipping in and out, but I never really read it cover to cover. And it's just, yeah, it's just an intimidating work. But it's a work of art which is extremely important um, and meaningful to me. So that was my initial hope and idea, but I was intimidated. So I went with uh, I provided an option for Hunchback as sort of an alternative, uh, a shorter, smaller kind of project. What I found fairly quickly is that 
the Hunchback of Notre Dame is no Les Miserables. What is the Hunchback of Notre Dame? It's sort of like a jovial, happy novel. The atmosphere of the book is sort of carnivalesque. It opens on the Feast of Fools, which is a carnival, and there's a pointing of the Pope of Fools, which is like the ugliest face. It's the, a primary theme of the book are these themes of inversion, um, of sort of the ugliest Quasimodo being anointed the Pope of Fools to like the highest rank. And, and that's a kind of theme which is explored in all different ways, how the under parts of society, the senior underclass, parallels, mimics um, the hierarchy and the penality and the oppression of the upper classes. The book is obsessed with like the marriage of opposites, you know. Um, the final scene, the epilogue, has this image of the misshapen uh, skeleton of Quasimodo, who Victor Hugo wants us to imagine as like the ugliest creature possible to imagine, being embraced, entwined in this embrace with the skeleton of Esmeralda, who Victor Hugo wants us to believe is the most beautiful human being ever imagined. And that's sort of the, the crux of, you know, the book. Um, and one of the absurd plot elements of the book, just totally wild and, you know, a critic might call it silly, but this, you know, Victor Hugo's tendency for just extremes. Uh, the, the, the book centers on, on this, you know, subclass of gypsies who are persecuted, they're discriminated against, Esmeralda's a gypsy, and the biggest gypsy hater in the entire book, this woman who just hates the gypsies more than anyone, um, this woman who believes her daughter was kidnapped by the gypsies and eaten by the gypsies. And you can't imagine the things she says, how much she hates the gypsies. And then, towards the end of the book, she shares a cell. Her cellmate is Esmeralda, and she hates Esmeralda more than anyone. Um, but of course, in the next page, you find out Esmeralda dis is discovered to be her daughter. And her missing daughter, meaning the missing child that was stolen by the gypsies is actually Esmeralda. And so everything is suddenly inverted on its head. And the biggest gypsy hater becomes the biggest gypsy lover, you know. You can find in Hunchback Victor Hugo's critique, his skepticism of power, which is something that characterized his personal politics, and certainly you can find in a lot of his other writing, including Les Miserables. But in The Hunchback of Notre Dame, it's sort of played for jokes a little bit. One of the funniest scenes, the most like self-consciously comedic scenes in the book, is a scene when... Uh, Quasimodo is taken before a judge. He's facing trial, he's, fa he's facing a judgment for kidnapping Esmeralda. And unfortunately, Quasimodo is deaf. He's deafened by the bells, uh, since he's the bell ringer of Notre Dame. And the judge who presides over the case is also deaf. And Victor Hugo explains that usually this is not a problem because uh, the judge sort of knows how to fake it. You know, he just asks the question and nods when the prisoner answers, even though he can't hear the answer, and he just moves on. Um, but in this scene, since they're both deaf, it creates a completely absurd scenario. Uh, it's completely comical, and, and the, the people in the room are, are sort of uh, in shock and horror at what's going on, where the judge asks one question, Quasimodo answers a different question, and the judge nods and move, moves on. And so, you know, that, that's sort of the, the overall kind of tone. During the scene for the Feast of Fools, Victor Hugo describes this uh, appointment process for the Pope of Fools. So Victor Hugo writes, let the reader picture to himself a series of visages presenting successively all geometric forms, from the triangle to the trapezium, from the cone to the polyhedron, all human expressions, from wrath to lewdness, all ages, from the wrinkles of the newborn babe to the fawn of, Bezel of Beelzebub, 
all the animal profiles, from the maw to the beak, from the jowl to the muzzle. Let the reader imagine all these grotesque figures of the Pont Neuf, those nightmares petrified beneath the hand of Germain Poulogne, assuming life and breath, and coming in turn to stare you in the face with burning eyes, all the masks of the Carnival of Venice passing in succession before your glass. In a word, a human kaleidoscope. End quote. And I think that really captures what Victor Hugo is trying to express, capture, uh, give us in this book, the human kaleidoscope, the extremes, the grotesque forms of humanity. The Hunchback of Notre Dame was published in 1831, when Victor Hugo was 29 years old. Les Miserables, on the other hand, was published in 1862, when Victor Hugo was 60 years old. In other words, Victor Hugo lived an entire lifetime between the publishing of The Hunchback of Notre Dame and the publishing of Les Miserables. In that time period, Victor Hugo witnessed what was called the June Revolution, the 1831 Revolution in Paris. Uh, he was at the barricade and saw the bullets whizzing. Over that time period, Victor Hugo lost his daughter. Over that time period, Victor Hugo was, uh, went into exile, a sort of self-imposed exile, because of his criticism of Napoleon III. Les Miserables, like The Hunchback of Notre Dame, makes critiques of power but the critiques of power in Les Mis are deadly serious. The god of Hunchback is sort of an aloof god who stands back and maybe laughs or marvels at the carnival of his creation. The god of Les Mis is a deeply personal god, is someone who is deeply invested in the actions of his characters, is someone who cares deeply about the suffering and the choices, the morality, the souls of his characters in the book. And uh, even in the preface, this, the tone of the book is set. Um, Victor Hugo writes, while, while through the working of laws and customs there continues to exist a condition of social condemnation which artificially creates a human hell within civilization and complicates with human fatality a destiny that is divine, while the three great problems of this century, the degradation of man in the proletariat, the subjection of women through hunger, the atrophy of the child by darkness continue unresolved, while in some regions social asphyxia remains possible. In other words, and in still wider terms, while ignorance and poverty persist on earth, books such as this cannot fail to be of value." End quote. And indeed, we live in a time where all those things, uh, ignorance and poverty, persist on earth. And for all those reasons, uh, this book cannot fail to be of value, and the messages, the ambition, the, the vision of the book, I think, still resonates and is important today. Les Miserables is undoubtedly one of my favorite artistic creations of all time. I read a major chunk of the book when I was much younger, and I read it at a time when I was obsessed and hyper-focused on these questions of justice and morality and righteousness and what these things mean. Uh, the, the book opens with this portrait of the priest Muriel, and that character of Muriel is a character and a vision that has stayed with me my whole life. Um, I love, me and my wife both love the Broadway show Les Miserables. Um, we both love uh, the music from that show. So that's it. This is an introduction video. This is an invitation to join me in my Les Miserables read-along project. 
Um, there will be a provisional tentative schedule in the description box if you're curious to join and read along. Um, I am excited. I'm also concerned about the ambitiousness of this project. We'll see how it goes. Um, but thanks for watching, and uh, I'll be back soon. How did Anne Hathaway do it? <laughs> so, okay. This is a controversial opinion because she did win the Oscar for it, but I did not like it. She's wonderful and a great actress. Don't at me. But she, it was very dramatic. There was like snot drippage. There was like a camera an inch from her face. And so for a while afterwards, I was a little bit mocking. And I was like, I dreamed, I dreamed it's time come. <laughs> and I thought that was a bit much. Oh, I think I scared the baby. Uh, I think it was a bit much for a song that's already kind of a tragic song. Um, but apparently I'm in the minority. She won the Oscar. And she has a lovely voice. And But it's just, it was much. It was a bit too much for, for my taste. What's better, the show or the movie? <laughs> Obviously the show. God. You have Why? to. It's meant for the stage. It could have been good but it's never gonna be the same as the first of all live theater is its own unique experience and i also think this kind of show you need a little bit of that of that distance the stage where you're immersed in it but you're not an inch from their face is it true you dressed up to see opening day um excuse me you asked like you weren't involved i forced you but still you were involved yes i went to the midnight showing of Les Miserables, dressed as Eponine. Because why not? You only live once.